So we are in the middle of a series called Removing the Rocks. And essentially, if you are a Christian you, uh, and you choose to put your faith in Jesus, he not only takes away your sin and your shame and he puts it to death on the cross, but incredibly he fills us with his Holy Spirit. And his, it, the Bible says that his spirit flows. We have streams of living water flowing from our bellies and we have the presence of God living inside of us if we choose to follow him. And what can happen, even as Christians, is things get in the way and stop the Holy Spirit from flowing freely through us. So that's what we're looking at in this series, looking at things that get in the way, rocks we're calling them, that get in the way of the flow of the Holy Spirit. So if you imagine a river and and the water running through the river basin very freely, and then you get a couple of big boulders and you put them in, they obviously stop the flow of the river. So it's metaphorical, but it's it's addressing the things that stop the fullness of, of the Holy Spirit, of God's presence in us. So we've looked at the lies that we believe and how that stops us from um, allowing the fullness of God and and his truth to live in us. We've looked at a number of things. And um, last week we looked at pride and our self-entitlement. And this week we are looking at shame. It's quite a big rock (laughs) for many of us. Um, And I'm going to look at a short passage in the Bible, in the Gospels, and I'm also going to share some of my testimony of how Jesus has set me free from so much shame to the point where I can speak to you now today about it quite freely. So first of all, I just want to look at shame and what it is. Shame is that feeling where you don't feel like you're enough. You don't feel good enough. You don't feel like you can meet people's expectations. You maybe feel like the opposite. You maybe feel like you're too much. You're too loud or you're um, too abrasive. Or it's basically not fitting in, not feeling enough. And it's about your identity. And it's very different to guilt they can be, you can get the, the two together. If you've done something bad, if you've done something wrong, you can feel very guilty and it's a horrible feeling, that cold feeling in your stomach. You know you've done something wrong or you know you've offended God and you, and you feel awful. But guilt, you can do something about. You can repent. You can change your ways. If you feel shame, you feel bad as a person. You feel like you're worthless. You feel unworthy of someone's love or you feel like you can't You can feel crippled by it, just the point where you don't have any motivation to change because you just think, well, that's just who I am. I'm just that person. I won't be loved. Or that person. I can't fit in there because I'm just that person. I'm I'm not lovable or I'm not worthy. And that's why it's so crippling because we feel we can sometimes feel helpless when we're living under shame and we can't do anything about it. And it's very rooted in our identity. And shame researchers have done lots of research on shame and there's only negative results. So some of the results of shame can be that we, um, we disconnect from people. Um, we have addictions. That shame is highly correlated with addictions, violence, eating disorders, and bullying. And we disconnect and we feel unworthy. And there's three different areas of shame that I'm going to look at today. The first area is shame of things that we've done. So it's linked up with guilt and the, and the things that we've done wrong. So we feel guilty and we feel shame. We feel like we're bad people because of the, the acts that we've done. So shame of things we've done. And then the second area is shame of um, where people have heaped shame on us. So people have spoken shameful words over you. They've made you feel bad about yourself. Um, Or they've done things to you. Maybe they've abused you. They've neglected you. And especially as a child, we can sometimes take on shame if, if people have neglected us. People in authority or people that should have loved us haven't. We can often feel shameful. We can carry that through our lives. Um, And the third area is 
shame that is circumstantial. So it's maybe unexplainable, or it may just be something that you have no control over, like sickness. You might have a sickness and you might feel ashamed of your weakness and your sickness. Or you, you might have um, lost loads of money and you can't provide for your family and you might feel shame over that. Things that are out, out of your control. And we, we react in different ways when we feel shame. And I know I do all, all different uh, reactions. So sometimes we get angry and we push back and we, we kind of push shame on other people. We think, I can't cope with this feeling. I'm just going to shame someone else and that'll make me feel better. Or we withdraw and we isolate ourselves and we think, I, I'm not going to ever be accepted by those people. So I know if I felt shame, I just think, that person makes me feel really ashamed of myself, so I'm not going to go anywhere near them because I just feel bad around them. So we isolate ourselves. Or we just give up. We just think, what's the point of even trying? I'm just, I'm just never going to be good enough. Um, and all these three reactions lead to escapism. We, lead, we try and find love and acceptance in short-term things. So we look for um, short-term love and acceptance, and that could be in, um, in love, it could be in uh, money, power, sex, um, all these things, alcohol, drugs, and this is why it can lead to addiction, because we get short-term acceptance and love from these things. Um, and I had, a, I had a chat to a few people in this church, and I said, where do you feel shame? It'd be really interesting to know, as a church, what are the areas of shame that we are carrying as Christians? Um, and here are some of the things. So people feel shamed that their marriage has broken down if they've been divorced. Even if they're still married, people feel shame that they can't make their spouse happy. People feel shame that they, last, they lust after things or they indulge in sexual sin. People feel shame that they didn't make the career that they wanted People feel shame that they did make the career that they wanted, but they don't have enough time to spend with their family. People feel shamed that their children haven't chosen to believe in Jesus. People feel shamed that they find confidence and they can only feel confidence in alcohol or if they make themselves look really nice. People feel shamed about redundancy, business failure, uh, not having enough money, or the opposite, having more money than others and you feel shame around that. Being um, sh- taking on shame of uh, someone in your family, someone, a spouse or a partner or a family member who's done something shameful and you've taken on that shame. Um, feeling weak or sick. Um, the shame of not being able to have children or the shame of not being holy enough, not reading your Bible enough and you feel like you're ashamed that you haven't done that. So as you can see, as Christians, <laughs> there's a lot of areas where we feel shame. And it's remarkable how rife it is, even in the church. And um, shame can really stop the Holy Spirit flowing through us. So we really want to address that today so that we can become free from this shame. And we certainly can. And I've been set free from so much shame. And I can testify to the fact that God really does set us free from shame. He has the power. And, and the, the power of shame is that it's hidden so often we don't know about it. You could, you could be around someone and they could look on the outside like they're doing fine. And we have this amazing ability to have like a mask and an exterior. And especially with social media, you can put up this front and you think, wow, that person's doing great. They look amazing. They look like they're always on holiday. You know, they've got rosy cheeks with this what's it, um, Snapchat. You can just look like you're having a great time and you've got these ears all the time. And then you meet them in person. You're like, you don't look quite the same. You don't have the rosy cheeks, you know. In real life, we're not, we're not how we portray ourselves on social media. 
And um, we can put up this exterior front of everything's cool. And, and I've got a great career, I've got a great family, I'm doing well at church. And actually, deep in your heart, you feel ashamed of who you are. And you feel like terrified that you might be exposed. And if anyone ever gets near that, you just shut down, shut them out, so that they don't get in and, and expose this, um, this interior part of your heart. And it's a very real fear, and it can be crippling. But the only way to set yourself free from it is to bring it into the light and to expose it. And it just completely depowers it. When we speak out these things that we're feeling and these lies that we're believing, it completely depowers it. And it takes courage to do that. It really does take courage and vulnerability. But we can be set free. We can be set free from this fear, from this anxiety. You can be set free today. Jesus is here today and he is powerful. And he can set you free today from these areas of shame that you are experiencing and once we really understand how powerful he is and how he can set us free and how glorious the freedom is we'll start to think why on earth did I hold on to this shame for so long why was I holding on to this Um, and if you're not a Christian today and you've come and you think I don't know how relevant this is I'm I'm not a Christian I don't know if I believe in Jesus please stay with me because I'm going to tell you how amazing Jesus is and he is magnetic and you'll hopefully get a scent of him and a sense of his freedom and you can experience freedom from shame if you've related to anything I've said already about shame you can have freedom from that stay with me and if you are a Christian today and you think I I think maybe I've already God's already spoken to me about some shame I'm carrying Please be open to the Holy Spirit, even as I'm speaking, because he will be moving even now and highlighting areas of your heart where you might be carrying shame. Please listen to him and open your heart, because he can really do a work. So I'm going to read a passage in Mark. I'm just going to, uh, Matthew, but I'm just going to pray, um, because I need his help. Um, I thank you, Jesus, that you set us free from our sin and our shame. You remove our shame and our sin from us as far as east is from west, Lord, forever. That we are not identified and defined by our sin and our shame, that we are new creations in you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you move powerfully amongst us today. I pray that you highlight areas where we've got rocks of shame and we're stopping your flow in us. And I pray you remove those rocks and you bring us into new freedom and you give us a revelation of the freedom in which we stand and the new inheritance that we have in you. Amen. So, Matthew 9, it should come up on the screen. I'm going to read the ESV version. Um, 9 verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Great little passage. Um, So the first area that I want to pull out from this short passage is that Jesus calls sinners. He comes and he calls sinners. If you feel like you're not worthy of Jesus coming and and, and setting you free, 
here it is. He comes, and, and there's a whole crowd of people here, and he picks out the sinner. And um, just to put it in context, a tax collector in these days and these cultures was the lowest of the low form of job that you could choose. Um, you were essentially a traitor. You were collecting tax off your own people to give to the Romans. And so you were betraying your own people. And the, model, the modern equivalent of that would be well, there's like those of equivalents, but um, often I think, Steph, you've mentioned in a preach before about a parking uh, ticket attendant. <laughs> and I know I've had my fair share of uh, speeding tickets. Or I've parked, I parked in a space once that was like a... It, it had white markings, but there wasn't quite a full space. <laughs> and I got a £60 fine. Um, and it's very easy to shame people that and, and to be honest it's not they're not doing anything wrong they're doing their job um and we feel we feel very uh, passionate about things and we feel like we can shame them we have no right to shame them but we feel like we do um and politicians i mean it's so easy to shame politicians and the media love to shame them put it all over the news and um shame politicians and slave traders if jesus was to come and pick out a slave trader how would we feel you know, he's come and he's picked out the sinner that everyone in, in the place knew that this person was shameful and that they were a sinner and that they were betraying their people and that's who Jesus chose. But more importantly, we can put ourselves in Matthew's shoes and know that we have sinned because we have chosen so many times to not honour God and not obey him and not follow him and trust him but actually do things our own way. And, and, and that's what sin is, doing things our own way, choosing to do things our own way and not following Jesus and not following our Lord. Um, so the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can all count ourselves in Matthew's shoes. Um, and here is Matthew just minding his own business. And along comes Jesus and he says, I'm going to have dinner with you. And he picks him out of the crowd and he gives them a choice. And this is key. He gives them a choice and he says, follow me. Now, Matthew has a choice here. Either he can follow him or he can just stay doing what he's doing, carry on collecting taxes from his people. But he chooses, he makes a monumental life-changing decision to follow Jesus. And this, this is key to the story that he follows him. And, that, and we see from this how, how Jesus treats sinners. He, he comes and he chooses them and he picks them and he loves them. He says, I'm coming with you. Um, and he is alive now and he can give us a choice today whether we choose to follow him or whether we choose to carry on doing the things that, the way we do them. The second point I want to pull out of this is that he eats with him. Now in the Middle East, I mean in our culture, but very specifically in the Middle East, to eat with someone is essentially to say, you're accepted you're loved, you're part of my family. Even more, I will treat you as a guest of honour and I will give you the best. I've eaten many meals in the Middle East and, they tr- and as a guest, they'll treat me better than they treat their own family. They'll give me the best that they have to offer. And it's overwhelming sometimes. So here, when Jesus is saying, I'm eating with you, Matthew, he's saying, you are part of my family. You are as good as family. I am willing to accept you and love you. And and that's what he offers us when he says, follow me. He's saying, I want you to be a part of my family. I accept you and I love you just as you are. You don't have to go and change yourself. You don't have to go and get clean and and change your ways before you come to eat with me. You come as you are. 
And so Matthew comes as he is, and he gets to eat with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And we get to come as we are and eat with the King of Kings, the King who created the whole world, and everything is created through him. We get to eat with him and share at his table. And it's beautiful. And he invites other sinners. Um, he invites other sinners. So Matthew then invites all his friends. And all the other tax collectors and sinners come in. And then they're all sitting around the table having this meal. And they don't have to go and clean themselves up. They just come as they are and, and sh- share a meal with Jesus. And they probably felt shamed. You know, people, the Pharisees we see are saying immediately, why are you eating? Why would you eat with these people? Why would you eat with these sinners? So that you can imagine if you were one of those guests at the table, you'd suddenly feel ashamed. You're like, oh, suddenly the, the holy people are here, the religious people, and they're making me feel like I'm not good enough to eat with this Jesus. But Jesus says, no, these, these people are welcome at my table. Um, and Jesus is the most beautiful redeemer. And we use the word redeemer sometimes quite freely without really explaining what it means. And one amazing book in the Bible that explains Redeemer well is the book of Ruth. And if you want to know more about shame and about the Redeemer, uh, the meaning of Redeemer, look at the book of Ruth because Ruth is a widow who is left without her husband, without children, without a future, without money. And she follows her mother-in-law to this unknown land to her and Boaz is this hero figure and is her redeemer and he redeems her ex-husband's land. He redeems the family inheritance for her. He marries her. They have a child together. He frees her from poverty. And that is essentially what a redeemer is, someone that, that restores your inheritance to you. So if you have been lost, if you have come into poverty, you've lost your land, you've become a slave, a redeemer would come along and they would restore your land to you. They would restore your inheritance to you. They would bless you. They would cover you and they would protect you. And you are then under their protection and you have your future ahead of you and it looks bright. So a redeemer is, is someone very special that would come and, and save you and bring and rescue you from poverty, from slavery, and bring you into an inheritance. And that is what Boaz does in the book of Ruth. And that is essentially what Jesus does and what he invites us into. He's, he is our redeemer and he invites us into this new inheritance. So we've looked at the first area of shame that I mentioned in Matthew. The shame that he felt because he is a sinner. Now I want to look at the shame that we feel because people have heaped shame on us. So people may have spoken words over us and made us feel ashamed. We all have people like that in our lives. The Pharisees here heap shame on those people sitting around the table. We all have people that make you feel bad about what you've done or make you feel bad about what you haven't done. There's so many words that can be spoken over us and sometimes we can take them on board and we can believe them. And... um, it can be really damaging, and especially as a child, if you've believed a lie, it can go with you through life, and you can believe something that's not true. And we, it can be used, shame can be used in, in so many different areas of our society. It can be used in the workplace, even in churches. It can be used in our families. We can shame each other to, to make ourselves feel better, or to cover up insecurities, or to gain power, and... One result is that we have a society that's rife with, with shame used as a weapon to put people down 
And the, and the result, as I said earlier, is that we disengage. So you've got a society where if enough people struggle with the same problem, it starts to shape a whole culture. So there's, if there's enough people struggling with shame and using shame as a weapon, we then start to all disengage from each other and there's a fractured society where we're rife with disengagement and comparison. We're always comparing ourselves like, well, that person's not quite as bad at that as me, so I feel a little bit better. And, and we've just got this society where we're just comparing each other, we're disengaging. If anyone gets too close, we're just pushing them away. And it's, and it's destructive, and it's not what the inheritance that, that Jesus has brought us into. And um, Brené Brown is a good shame researcher. I've read some of her books, and she's helpful at just pinpointing some of the things that we can really feel shame about. And there's some specific shames around male and female that um, can be very specific. So for women, often feel very shamed around the whole motherhood area. They sometimes feel they're not good enough mother, or if they can't have children, they feel shame that they can't have children. I've even heard (laughs) conversations where people feel shame because someone said to them, well, haven't you had enough kids? You're having another one. And they feel shame because they've got too much children. There's such shame around motherhood. And... um, and also about image. Image is a huge one for women. They feel like they need to look attractive. They need to meet up to the world's expectation of what attractiveness looks like. And for men, it, the, one of the biggest problems is um, not showing weakness. You have to be strong. You have to um, be brave. You have to provide for your family. You have to sort of uh, do well at work or on the sports field. And if you fail at anything, you feel like you're ashamed and you can't share that with anyone. Um, and I've definitely felt shame in this area of, of words being spoken over me um, and I've believed them, shame of other people putting shame on me and I've adopted that and for years I believed it. Um, words spoken over me as a child um, like you're weak, you're boring, um, I don't want you around, you're a burden, um, there's something wrong with you. Um, you've, uh, yeah, I had, I've had many times, you're too skinny, you must have eating problems, you must have eating disorders. Um, the boys at school, <laughs> I can laugh about it now, we used to say things like, oh, you'll be attractive when you're older. Or like, you're a bit of an ugly duckling, maybe, you know, maybe there's hope for you in the future. And um, I can laugh at it now, but I just think, my face isn't going to change it that much. If you find me ugly now, then you're going to find me ugly when I'm old. I mean, let's be serious. Um, and it can be deeply wounding. And I did get into my early teenage years, and I actually thought there was something wrong with me. People uh, said I was too quiet. So my defense mechanism would be to shut down and isolate myself. So if, if I did... if I felt like I was doing something wrong, I would just stop doing that thing. Um, Often, if I was good at something, people would then bully me for that because they would either get jealous or they would think, they would tell me I was showing off. So then I would stop being good at things. So I kind of just shut down and I thought, I won't be too good at that thing because that will get me bullied and I won't speak too much because then someone will just bully me for that. So... In essence, I just shut down and I became very quiet and timid. And I got to about the age of 12 and I went through about two years of extreme anxiety and um, fear. I was crippled by fear and I was terrified of failing, absolutely terrified. I remember my parents, in all of this, my parents 
were amazing. And I knew that I was loved by my parents. It wasn't even that I didn't feel loved for my parents. I knew that I was loved by my parents. But I'd had these words spoken over me, and I just felt unworthy. And, and my parents were trying to help me and, and trying to help me understand. And I would have insomnia. I would have panic attacks. I would have anxiety. I wouldn't be able to go to school. I remember having an exam, and I couldn't go to the... I, I was tried not to go to the exam. Um, and my parents made me, and I hated them for it. But I love them for it now, because they made me face my fears. And um, it was terrifying. And I remember my dad saying to me, you know, what you're going through now is amazing, because most people go through this in later life, in, middle, in, in their middle ages, and they kind of get this self-awareness, and you're going through it now, so you're going to be really strong when you're older. And I was like, Dad, I'm 12. <laughs> like, I don't want to go through this now. Um, and uh, at 14, I remember this memory, this very clear memory of being in a car park and this friend of my mum's came up to me and he was very impressive. He was a personal trainer and he was just really vivacious and magnetic. And he said, hey, Alice, how are you doing? What's going on? Tell me some news. And I just looked at him and I just felt so overwhelmed by how amazing he was. And I felt so worthless. I just had nothing to say and I just sort of mumbled something and I got in the car and I burst into tears and my mum said, what's wrong? And I said, I don't know, I just feel like I'm worthless. I feel like I've got nothing to offer the world. I don't feel like I'm worthy of anything. And um, that's, <laughs> that's where I was at at that stage. And um, sometimes, maybe that was word spoken over me, maybe it was circumstantial. Whatever it was, I felt ashamed of who I was. And... Uh, we can often just take on shame that is not meant for us. And another area of shame that I've taken on is the third area, which is circumstantial, which is areas are completely outside of our control. Um, I've suffered from various physical sicknesses growing up, and I would call myself quite a healthy person, but when I look back over my history, I think, actually, I've had my fair share, probably... I took the quota for the whole family, pretty much, of sicknesses, um, and God, in his mercy, has seen me through so much, through you know, life-threatening diseases to fairly simple afflictions. Um, and he has been so faithful, but I've been so ashamed of my sickness and so ashamed to show weakness that I've been scared to tell people. I had a, a life-threatening disease that, that the doctor said, worst-case scenario, you have two years to live. And I was so ashamed of that, I couldn't even tell people that I loved that I was sick because I was terrified that they would judge me and they would reject me. And people did. People didn't know how to treat me if they did find out. So some people did reject me because of it. And I just it was utterly painful to be rejected when you feel so vulnerable. And often I've had smaller sicknesses like skin afflictions most of my life. And I remember coming up at Rev once and testifying to the fact that I felt ashamed. I've got really bad eczema on my hands. And um, it's been a lifelong problem. And people often tell me, what's wrong with your hands? They're actually okay today. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they bleed and they, they, look, they look pretty ugly sometimes. Um, but I have learned to love them because God's given me these hands. And he, I've learned to love these hands because he's made them. And um, I remember there's been times where I haven't been able to lift my hands in worship because I'm so ashamed of them that I'm terrified that the person behind me will find my hands so ugly it will put them off worship. And that in itself, that picture and that metaphor is of what happens when we carry shame, that we, we stop worshipping 
we, our, our worship is silenced and we're terrified and we're actually just looking at ourselves and we stop worshipping God and it's sinful. And often our response to carrying shame is that we sin and we look at ourselves and we become self-absorbed. And I had to repent of that and worship God and, and not care. Essentially what I was doing was holding other people's opinions over God's. I was saying what the person behind me thinks about me is more important than what God thinks about me. And I was starving God of worship that he deserved because I was worried about what someone else behind me might think, which is terrible. And, um, yeah, there's so many other areas of shame that God has broken me free from, but I know we don't have too long. So um, I think what I realized in all of it is that sometimes the most vulnerable areas that we feel shame are where we have been open and vulnerable with someone and then we felt rejection and we're terrified of rejection. And some of the most hardest times I've been through in the last five years is where I've been open and vulnerable with someone and then for whatever reason they've disconnected, they've stopped wanting to talk to me and I felt utterly, utterly shamed and all those lies I've had as a child came back that you're weak, you're worthless, people don't want to hang out with you, you're a burden, um, you're too quiet, all these things and I started believing them. And as I was preparing this, this um, talk, uh, Jesus just revealed to me, he, he just said, the thing that you find the hardest and the most shameful is that when you're open and vulnerable with someone and then they reject you, and he has essentially done that for us. He has been the most open and vulnerable. He has exposed himself and he has put himself to death on the cross and been open and vulnerable with us. And how often do we then reject him and say, oh, I actually think I'm going to do it my way? And we reject him when he's been the most open and vulnerable with us. And it really helped me to see what we do when we sin against um, God and how we carry, carry our shame. And the amazing thing is, in this passage, after he says, follow me, Jesus invites Matthew into a new inheritance and a new life with him. And... Um, God just invites us into the most beautiful inheritance. And it says in Isaiah 54, Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back in a surge of anger. I, in a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. He is compassionate and he comes to heal us. He comes to redeem us. He is, the, he is greater than Boaz. He comes to redeem us. He comes to take us out of slavery and into freedom. And he exposes what we worship. Shame, shame exposes what we worship. And, and we're worshipping other people and other people's opinions. But God is merciful and he is compassionate and he loves to come and he loves to redeem us and he loves to bring us out of slavery into freedom. And he is merciful and he's got this new inheritance for us. And if we keep holding on to this shame and this fear, we're actually not creating any space for our new inheritance. And, and that is not what he 
has for us. So I think in all of the sin and the shame that I had, I realized I had to repent. In order for me to step into freedom, I had to repent of my sin. I had to repent of the shame and the lies that I had believed. It says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful um, and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is faithful. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and he will cleanse you and bring you into freedom. And he is so attracted to brokenness. If you feel, I'm just too broken. I just don't want to expose that part of me. It's too hard, Alice. It's, it's that part of me that I can't expose. We've seen here, God, Jesus is attracted to brokenness. He's attracted to the broken man. He's not attracted to the one who's got it all sorted, the religious ones who I think they have it all sorted. He's attracted to the broken people. And that's who he's attracted to. And until we admit that and we admit our weaknesses, we're not going to know freedom. And you might think, gosh, it's just too painful. I just can't face up to these areas I've hidden for so many years. And I feel like it's going to be more painful to then expose them. Sometimes we need to become more broken to get healed. And we need to um, come into God's brokenness. He broke himself so that we might be healed. And the things that he's breaking off from us... They're things that are not inheritance. They're things like pride and, and they're things that, and judgment, things that we shouldn't be holding on to anyway. So yes, it can be painful and yes, it can be hard to face up to these areas of our lives that we're holding on to. But this isn't our inheritance. Our inheritance is glorious. And, um, and, it, and it, it's, it's, it's not easy, but it's simple. The, the answer is here. We just trust in him. He has come not to call the righteous, but sinners he is a god of mercy he hasn't come for, for those who have it together he's come for those who can admit that they need a doctor they need healing um and by carrying our mask i had a picture of just us having this mask and we've got this deep gash in our face and so but we've got this mask on so we're covering it up and then someone comes along well jesus comes along and he says are you all right and you go yeah 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 everything's fine everything's fine yeah uh it's just i can see a bit of blood like dripping down your chin you're like no 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 everything's fine and it's like but your eyes look a bit like they're a bit marred by something you think no 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 it's fine and that is the reality of it we sort of go along and we've got all these wounds and we're terrified to expose them because we're just scared that it's going to be painful but the futility of it that until we take off our masks how is Jesus ever going to heal us he can't unless we let him in in Revelation, it says, God says, Behold, I am making all things new. If you choose to trust in Jesus, if you choose to put your faith in him, you become a child of God. And your past wounds do not define you. In light of everything you've done and everything that's been done to you, whether it's sin that you've done or someone's put on you, or circumstantial things that have just happened that you felt ashamed, everything that's been done... We have to realise who we are when we come into Christ. What, who, who, the inheritance that we adopt, that we come into, the, the identity that we have in Christ. And until we get that, we're not going to understand freedom, true freedom. Jesus despised the shame of the cross, as Steph read earlier from Hebrews. Why did he despise the shame of the cross? Why did he go to the cross for us? For the joy set before him. 
He saw the joy to come. He saw that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of children were going to come running back to God. And that picture, that knowledge, that wisdom, that that hundreds and thousands and, and millions were going to come back to God of broken children, of broken people that feel full of shame and full of sin, we're going to come to him and know healing and know restoration and know the love of the Father. That joy of that was what allowed him to endure the cross for the joy set before him. The devil did his worst to shame Jesus on the cross. It was the most shameful way to die. The, the cross, hanging by a cross, dying by essentially asphyxiation, just not being able to breathe, slow, slow, excruciating death. It's the most shameful way to die. And Jesus died in that shameful way and he put our shame to death on the cross. If you feel like it's just too painful, God will make a way for you. If you, if you choose to follow him, he will make a way. Just like the Israelites, they, they thought it was too hard to cross the Red Sea. God made a way through the Red Sea and God can make a way for you. If you put your trust in him, he will make a way so you can become free from your shame. He was broken on the cross that we might be healed. So by you accepting his broken body in yours, it will bring you healing. The old life, of your, uh, the old life that we carry and that we held on to is gone when we trusted Jesus. The old life is gone and the new has come. And um, the enemy can still feed us lies. We've heard testimonies. We've heard Davina's incredible testimony. We've heard Mactuno's testimony. We've heard people's testimony of how we can just believe these lies and, and they can change the way we think and the way that we let the spirit flow through us. And, and the devil does have influence and he can feed us these lies, but we have a choice when, we, when these lies come and we have a choice whether we're going to follow him like Matthew did or whether we're going to um, trust in our own understanding. But our Jesus, the Redeemer, has come and he's brought life. He has a new inheritance for you. He has a new identity for you. And as soon as we understand that and grasp that, we can step into the freedom that we have been bought for on the cross. And um, I think one of the key things that we need to recognize here is our weakness. Like Jesus says, I've come for those who are sick. And if you feel today that you have an area of your life where you've been carrying shame, you can come forward even now and Jesus can bring you healing and he can bring you into an understanding of the freedom that you have been, that has been bought for you. That he will give you an understanding that he is your redeemer and he will bring you out of your old life of, of sin and shame into a new life of freedom. And if you are not a Christian and you think, I want to know more, I want to know this Jesus. I want to be set free from my sin and my shame. You can know him today. You can choose to follow him today. And I think as I end now, I just invite anyone who, who isn't a Christian and you think, I've, this Jesus sounds amazing. He sounds powerful enough. He is powerful enough to set us free from our shame and our sin. He has set me free from my shame and my sin. I'm free to talk about it. I'm not ashamed of my past anymore. My shame and my past and these lies spoken of me do not define me. I am a new creation. I'm his beloved. We are all his beloved. This is the words he's spoken over us. After after you choose to follow him, he says, you are my beloved. I have chosen you. I will be faithful to you. I will redeem you. And these are these words of life 
You are my child. You are my son. You are my daughter. I will protect you. I will be faithful. These amazing words of life, this is what he speaks over us. And if you want to know his, his life, you want to walk in his kingdom with him, you can do that today. So as I end, and if you can come up and play, and um, I would invite anyone who wants to know Jesus, please come up and we can pray with you. If you are a Christian and you want to come up and you want to be free, you want to be set free from your shame, then please do come up and we can pray for you and you can be set free. He is powerful enough to set you free from your shame. He has paid for your sin and your shame. You just need to take your inheritance. It's there for the taking. Don't be bound by sin and shame. Don't be bound by your old ways. Step into the freedom and the inheritance that he has for you.